Good morning, everyone. This is Valley Free Radio. You're tuned to WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM on the air and live streaming at valleyfreeradio.org. And you're listening to Under the Surface, a talk show with a focus on rarely discussed elements of everyday life. And I'm your host, Amy Landau. Thanks for joining me. My guest for today is Ray Paquette. Ray was a neighbor of mine at a community here in Northampton, a really great neighbor, I might add. He's also a high school math teacher who has a family and is raising two sons. And one of the first things I learned about Ray that really intrigued me was the fact that he once worked as a bus driver for the Green Tortoise. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Green Tortoise, but it's a kind of counterculture adventure travel company that was founded back in the 1970s in San Francisco. And from what I read on Wikipedia, it was founded by a guy named Gardner Kent. Green Tortoise also runs hostels in San Francisco and Seattle, but it's best known for these crazy green and white buses which cater toward backpackers and other shoestring travelers who don't mind roughing it in order to see incredible places. Some people think of it as the hippie bus. These buses go all the way across the country from the East Coast to the West Coast to Baja, California, which is actually in Mexico, to Alaska, Yosemite, Mexico, and Central America. And the buses, as I, at least as I recall, are cheap, these, the whole trip, with delicious, mostly vegetarian food included. But the catch is that you must be willing to sleep on the bus on couches and chairs that actually convert into communal sleeper coaches. I'm sure we'll hear more about this from Ray. So you must sleep alongside about 36 other passengers while the bus is in motion during the night. Then when you wake up in the morning, you arrive at your destination. Now, years ago, when I was figuring out some adventures of my own on the West Coast, I learned about the Green Tortoise, and I seriously contemplated signing up for it. I was obsessed with it for a period of time, but I confess I did not think I'd be able to sleep on a moving bus and right next to so many people. Still, I always wondered what the experience would have been like if I'd done it. I knew it would have been something memorable, not only for the exotic locations where the bus goes, but also for the sheer novelty of the experience itself. So I'm really excited to get the inside scoop on the Green Tortoise experience from someone like Ray, who knows it well. Ray worked as a bus driver for 10 years during the summers and winters between 1982 to 92. 92. He'd spent his summers driving across the country from San Francisco to Boston and his winters in Baja or Yucatan, Chiapas, Belize, and Guatemala. But as he told me, he was not just a bus driver. That's because a bus driver for Green Tortoise is not just a bus driver. A bus driver has to be, from what I think I recall Ray telling me, a mechanic, a meal planner, and a tour guide all rolled into one. I frankly don't know how he did it. But let's find out. So thank you for joining me, Ray. It's great to have you on the show. Good to be here. First of all, let me ask you this. What possessed you to become a bus driver for the Green Tortoise? Did you start out as a passenger? No, no, I never took the green tortoise. I was aware of the green tortoise just living in Amherst. You kind of become aware of these things. Mm-hmm. I was at school at UMass. I got my license driving for the PVTA. Um, so I was qualified as a bus driver. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I liked adventure. I liked to travel. Mm-hmm. So I basically got in touch with the green tortoise and said, here I am. You <laughs> need me. Mm-hmm. And um, coincidentally, I was going on a trip to San Francisco and the owner of the bus company got back to me and said, yeah, why don't you come by and we'll, we'll, 
we'll meet. So, wow. so you I, met Gardner Kent, the owner. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh. I knew him well. Uh-huh. Um, so I went, I went there, and we did a little test drive, and he said, "Yep, sounds good. You, we need you. You're hired." Mm-hmm. So and so you that. had never driven a, a bus before that? Time? No, I had. I drove the oh. PVTA okay. bus here. You in said that. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, I thought you said you got a license, but I didn't know you actually drove. No, it. no, I drove okay. the, the PVTA bus wow. around Northampton for okay. quite a while. All right, so you so. had experience with that. Yeah. So. Where were some of the, just to give our listeners an idea, where were some of the more unusual places you went on your cross-country trips and your Mexico and Central America trips? Just to give us a sense. Okay. Well, I think the thing, what's interesting about the green tortoise, right, is that you go to the usual places. You go to the Grand Canyon, you go to Yosemite, you go to all the places that you would go to if you rented a car and traveled across the U.S., but we had years of accumulated knowledge, which the drivers would share with each other about the unusual places to go to. So, um, for example, while Gardner at one point uh, stumbled into a a restaurant in South Dakota in the Badlands, a little way out of the way um, cafe owned Mm -hmm. by a, a Sioux woman, uh, he was running out of diesel fuel. He didn't have propane for the stove. And he, he was driving have, the bus? Yeah. No, the, he started. He was, he okay. was driving. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, she supply, She said, well, we have food. We're a restaurant. You mm-hmm. guys can sleep here. We can probably find some diesel fuel for you to keep moving. And, and so that was the beginning of a connection. Mm-hmm. And we went back there pretty much every trip to this restaurant. Wow. We would camp out not too far away. Yeah. Um, so we got to meet these, this woman and her sister who were probably in their 70s at the time, mm-hmm. Sioux women, and we always went there. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't know of the place yeah. or you wouldn't know to go there. Mm-hmm. It, was not, it was on a dirt road, probably at least 40 miles from anything else, you know, any other buildings. Near the Badlands or in, in the, the Badlands. Yeah, in the south unit of the Badlands, so uh-huh. just north of the Pine Ridge Reservation. Uh-huh. The reservation and the Badlands overlap, mm-hmm. if I, I think that's true. Mm-hmm. If they don't overlap, they're right next to each other. Wow, so that's really off the beaten path. Yes. yes. Yeah, and one of the things that strikes me as really great about the green tortoise is, well, it's existed for so long, and yet it hasn't become some mega company like it had it could probably have done like the whole foods thing right oh let's you know start a company on the east coast too and do trips there you know that it's kept to its area pretty much as far as i know i mean i've been out of touch since 92 so i I look on the website and they've got these fancy new buses so i assume Mm -hmm. that they were you know they were they've been constrained by regulations and so i i don't even know if they run buses in the united states i think they still do but if uh, they run buses in the yeah, United States. Oh, sure. well, the cross-country ones. Yeah, I think oh, they, they still, still do. Okay. Yeah, I, I looked I'm at the website, actually. The now. buses look a lot more modern than from your pictures. Though. Right. I suspect yeah. that was regulations. <laughs> yeah. I, I suspect oh. they had to do that. Yeah. Because um, so, our buses were from the 1950s, mostly. Yeah, your buses are beautiful. I they saw the pictures. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, was there AC on those buses? No, 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 no. <laughs> no, we had windows that opened, though. That's a novel uh-huh. thing. Yeah. Windows that opened, yes. Oh, okay. Um, so tell me, tell us more about your role as the bus driver for Green Tortoise. What were you responsible for? Okay. Well, uh, first you have to picture our, we called it World Headquarters. That was in San Francisco. So buses would leave San Francisco. It would take a week and a half to get to Boston and then a few days in Boston, and, and then a week and a half to get back. So you'd be gone for basically a month at least. Um, and if you went to Mexico or anything else, you might be gone for four months. So you, you had to be pretty independent. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the trip was roughly planned, although we would make a lot up as we went along. Sometimes we'd find out things, mm-hmm. um, would hear about places to go, or there'd be just an event to go to. So we'd 
work the you know the itinerary and figure out what what the best plan was um, within some guidance that we already had. Uh, we always were running into problems with people would come up to me waving the brochure and tell me they told me we were going to go to this place oh, uh-huh. and and I'd have to point out that that was just a list of possible destinations because uh-huh. it was all very flexible. Uh-huh. Um, so would you so be asking them what they wanted to do? Or? Sometimes, although I discovered that that democracy is can be problematic because when you ask people then they then they think they get a choice mm-hmm. but if you just oh. like i knew all kinds of great places that they didn't know about oh. uh-huh. so in a lot of ways it was better if i just didn't ask because people were pretty happy most of the time at the places we went to uh-huh you know they'd just be somebody who read every little line of the brochure and you would point out that we missed this one spot that they were counting on uh-huh um so yeah. mostly I didn't, although sometimes, you know, sometimes we'd have to stop and take a vote. If we go here, we're going to have to skip that. Oh, um, so if you if you told them all the choices, then they might kind of demand to do too many things or something impractical that you knew from your experience. Right. Or somebody would just lose out. Somebody would, you know, somebody would be bummed that they didn't get what they oh, wanted. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, right. Like the Grand Canyon, for example, people often wanted to go to the Grand Canyon on, on the cross country trips. And it, it's from the route that we took, it was a fair distance out of the way. Mm-hmm. So I would have to tell them, you know, we can do that. This is what we'll have to give up. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we did. We went there a few times on one of the cross country trips. Yeah. We had other trips that went there. All right. So um, mostly we just did, you know, I had a trip in mind and I showed them and people were pretty happy with it. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, go ahead. No, So itinerary was one thing. Okay. Then, um, Buying and planning the meals. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you had, you said 30. We often had 40, really? sometimes 45 people on the buses. They could, they yeah. could be really I crowded. said 36 because that's what they have on the website. But yeah, <laughs> it's, maybe it was more. In and sometimes they, were, sometimes they were more full than that. Mm-hmm. And so you'd have to have the meals planned out, which meant I would plot out what they were and I would have the groceries for them. And then mm-hmm. we, would, we would cook them along the way. People would help, you know, the passengers would help plan, prepare the meals. I wouldn't do the cooking mm-hmm. necessarily. I just had to plan all that. Did you plan, like, you actually plan the, the meals with them or before you pick them up? Or, I no. Mean, I mean, usually I'd plan, you know, after doing it for a while, you have sort of, this is what works well here mm-hmm. and there. And you can get these, this is a great place to get this ingredient. And mm-hmm. so we'd stop maybe three or four times along the way to get groceries. So I'd have the meals roughly planned mm-hmm. out. And then, because I did that, they just, I mean, sometimes people would have a great idea and would try to do it. But you the know. passengers would be with you when you would stop and go shopping. Yeah. And they'd actually be helping with the shopping. Yep. yep. It sounds like what happens when people go in a group to Burning Man or something. Right, right, kind of right. Up you know, and I'd try to have a list. I'd have a list all written up so I could tear it up into pieces and say, okay, Amy, you go get the vegetables. Oh, So and so, here's the list for fruit we need. And, yeah. you know, so we could get in and out of the store pretty quickly and not spend a bunch of time. Yeah. And then I would try to start the trip with a pretty good supply of, of stuff. But, so, so meals. Yeah. That's why you're such a good meal planner at Rocky Hill. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. yeah, people talk about that, about how do you cook for 30 people? I'm like, oh, it's nothing. Yeah, you really got <laughs> so, experience. So Yeah, I yeah. did get a lot of experience with that. So you did that. You drove the bus, drove the bus at night while people were sleeping? We did. The cross-country trips were the hardest in that regard because we really usually only had two nights that we camped out. Mm-hmm. So we had two drivers. And there was a, a section in the back of the bus, kind of a shelf that the drivers would have. It was actually, it sounds, it's better than it sounds. Yeah. Um, so the was shelf com- was to lie down while the other right. driver would right. rest while you drove. Right. So at night, you know, usually during the day, we'd both be up and doing fun things with everybody. And then at night, one of us would drive after dinner until some point in the evening. And then the other would, would take over. 
Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we, we didn't get enough sleep, but we got enough sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, it was legal. <laughs> we got enough to be legal. Uh-huh. Um, the beginning of the trip, like from Boston West, was hard because we really did a lot of miles in the first few days. Uh-huh. And then once we reached about Colorado, we'd tend to slow down. We'd spend more time during the day doing things. Mm-hmm. So if I was really tired, I could send the passengers off on a, you know, they, they'd go off rafting and I could take a nap or mm-hmm. something like that. But I actually did fine with it. I know some people had a harder time with it. But you didn't get a solid stretch of like eight hours of sleep. Not usually. On the camp out nights, we would. Mm-hmm. But like I said, the cross-country trips were the hardest in that regard. Um, like when we went to Baja, we, would, we had a few overnight trips, drives, and then mostly we were just hanging out on beaches, camping out, you know, mm-hmm. sleeping. We could sleep the whole night. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the Mexico trip. We mm-hmm. had probably a third of the nights were driving through the night. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of the time we'd be stopped somewhere where we could sleep out for the night. Mm-hmm. So, so that was pretty good. But the advantage of driving overnight, right, is a passenger, you know, you go to sleep in the Badlands and you wake up in the Rockies. Mm-hmm. And you go to sleep in the Rockies and yeah. you wake up in Arches National Park. And, right. You know, so every day is a new adventure and, you, you know, you wake up to see the sunrise in some incredible place and you spend yeah. the day hiking and you have a great meal. If, and if you can sleep as a passenger. Yeah. Were people able to sleep usually? I Mostly they were, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned that the buses, some of them, not always, but sometimes they were pretty full. And what I discovered was that the trips that were really crowded actually turned out better because <laughs> because people tended to hook up when they were, like, jammed together. So then they would have this whole romance. Oh, really? I was wondering romantic, about the romances when you have people too, lying. Just, so everybody yeah. was happier when the bus was really full. Um, I mean, of course, you know, except you for the few odd ones that didn't <laughs> have, uh, find a hookup. <laughs> right. But how could they do that? Okay, wait. So was the stuff going on right? Oh yeah, in front of each other. Oh on, yeah, oh yeah. Oh I mean, it was, you're traveling with people. I'm sure you've traveled with people where you a day or two of traveling together is uh-huh. like knowing somebody for a year. Uh-huh. Is something that accelerates the uh-huh. the connections. Yeah. So people started to feel pretty close. I mean, you know, and we're traveling together. Uh-huh. So, you know, we pull over somewhere in the in the middle of nowhere to go to the bathroom and everybody's peeing on the side of the road and nobody's really too concerned about uh-huh. it. And you just get, it, it becomes surprisingly uh-huh. comfortable and people surprisingly quickly. were very uninhibited and didn't mind being exposed to other uninhibited people hooking up I, on the sleeper coach. You know, I mean, I never asked that question. <laughs> I never asked people like, are you comfortable with this? And no one ever asked the question, but it seemed like uh-huh. most people were. And, and yeah. there were, picture the inside of the bu- of any bus now, like a, a long distance bus that has the racks above the seats. We had bunks up there. So people who wanted to kind of have their own space could pick one of those bunks mm-hmm. and be separate. So you didn't have to. Oh, you, you know, could be separate? Like, well, I mean, it wasn't walled off or anything, but you had a oh. bunk that didn't have anybody beside you necessarily. Well, there were probably limited numbers of those. Yes. Like only a few people who really needed to be, have their, I would be right. me. I would need right. my own buck. Yeah. No, most, <laughs> most people were, seem pretty fine with it actually. Uh-huh. Um, oh. Yeah. I mean, most, you know, it's like sleeping in a, in a crowded tent. But also I picture as the bus is in motion, you're rolling, rolling around yeah, against other people. <laughs> people get really just kind of comfortable yeah. with that. Okay. And also, right, most of the time at night, we're on the highway going somewhere. Mm-hmm. And the buses were actually, you know, for 1950s technology, they were pretty smooth. They wow. were pretty nice. They might be better so, than today's buses. Yeah, people, know. people told me that they, they were, I often heard from people, you know, they were surprised how comfortable it was and how smooth mm-hmm. and how, how well they slept. Yeah. Right? And of course, you know, you'd spend the day hiking in the, in the 90 degree desert. 
you know, so at night you just, you have a good meal and you crash. Yeah. You're done. Yeah. So people were sort of primed for sleeping. Uh-huh. So it was, I had very little problem with that. I mean, there were some, there were some, there was one in particular kind of a cultural conflict. Oh. Um, Someone international was on the trip. Well, there were lots of international mm-hmm. people on the bus, but I mean, the Germans and the British and the Australians, they were pretty comfortable, but mm-hmm. I had a... I mean, there was always an assortment of people, but there was a Chinese woman at one point who the very first morning, you know, we drove through the night and the very first morning I, I, she was screaming at someone at, at a man who, oh my God. in her perception, he had been pressing against her oh, and she was uh, mad and she had felt really threatened. And, and, um, so, I mean, how was that handled? We worked through that. I mean, I, that was yeah. my job too, was to handle, you know, I have to be the sort Conflict. of peacekeeper. Yeah. So I let her know, you know, number one, whatever you need. Mm-hmm. You know, if you need me to, if you, if, if you decide that you just can't ride the bus any longer and you mm-hmm. need to go to an airport and fly home, then mm-hmm. you tell me and we'll do that. So I want you to know that that's an option. Um, but we, we also, the three of us, myself, her and the man we talked, he was really sorry that she felt that way. And he, you don't think he intended that? <laughs> that's what he said. And it, yeah, seemed, who knows? it was pretty convincing yeah. to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then especially later, she decided ultimately to stay with us, mm-hmm. you know, and I offered her, I said, why don't we give you, we'll just assign you one of these bunks so you can have your own space. You know, you won't have to deal with that. I, I hear that you're uncomfortable. And um, by the end of the trip, they were great friends. You know, he was. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? I mean, at one point later, maybe four or five days later, I, I heard her screaming again. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> not more. And I looked over uh-huh. and, and he was he was carrying her in his arms into the water. Wow. <laughs> you know, so they were they were friends to the point where he, you know, he would oh pick gosh. her up and they would run into the water together. And so. But it wasn't necessarily a hookup. No, I, no, I don't think it was. <laughs> it was friendship. Right. Okay. Right. Wow, that's really interesting. So, yeah, they, the transformation. Know, yeah. yeah. They they overcame that. That's great. Yeah, so I mean I trust that it really was the right call. Like she it really was a mistake and a misunderstanding and yeah. cuz she I think she she was pretty she was a force. Right. So if it was not if she was not comfortable, she would have let everybody know. Yeah. I would think that today on Green Tortoise, like there's such heightened awareness about personal space and like, you know, these kind of things like, you know, sexual harassment, etc. that right that there'd be really strict kind of, I don't know how it would be strict, but just that people, women especially maybe would have to be reassured or whatever that, you know, please speak up or something. And I don't know. I wonder if they do a spiel about that on the green tortoise today. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, at the time we didn't, and there's, I have a lot of conversations with myself now after the fact of things that might be different. Yeah. So. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Like, what's one of them? Well, that's one. Yeah. Particularly just mm-hmm. assuming that people were comfortable and that they would speak up for themselves if they weren't. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, we were in remote places a lot. We spent a lot of time taking our clothes off and jumping in the water. And yeah. So, so the assumption was, if you're not comfortable, you won't do it. Right. And that's fine. Yeah. But I think now I would feel more. It would feel more important to check that out. Yeah. Um, Definitely. But That's yeah, I, true. I, I mean, I never had really everything seemed surprisingly smooth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, that was part of the thrill, right? People just having fun, getting naked, playing. Yeah. In the mud, you <laughs> right. Know, and would, you kind of know what you're in for when you sign up for Green Tortoise. It, you know that you're going to be sharing close quarters with people. In right. This adventure. Right. And so. you, most people traveled with a friend or two of theirs. So they mm-hmm. weren't completely by themselves. Oh, not, I see. not everybody, but a lot of people did. Mm hmm. 
So Hmm. most people weren't completely alone. Yeah. And getting back to your responsibilities, um, you mentioned that you also were a mechanic. So when the bus broke down, you Mm -hmm. had to fix the bus. Yeah. Yep. And it did. I mean, they were, the company changed quite a bit during the time I was there. When I first started, the buses were pretty raggedy and they weren't, you know, we didn't have, we, I don't even think we had insurance (laughs) at the the beginning. Um, So the buses were pretty raggedy. And then over the 10 years that I was there, they really got it together in terms of, you know, maintaining the buses and Mm -hmm. fixing them up. So the first few years I found I had a lot of just little things to fix. Something would break, I'd have to fix it. Something else would break, I'd have to fix it. And pretty often the bus would return home in better shape than it left. Oh, but, but due to your the, efforts. After <laughs> the fir- well, just because things broke and I had to fix them. Yeah. But after the first fall, couple of years, they really, I mean, the buses were really in good shape. Mm-hmm. And they were always safe. I mean, we always had good tires and, you know, we were always checking the brakes and we all knew how to fix the, you know, adjust the brakes and make sure they worked. Mm-hmm. So there was not safety concerns, but it was just... I mean, they were 50-year-old or 40-year-old buses. Yeah. So were the, these buses used for something else? Like, were they new buses when n- they first got them? No, they were okay. old Greyhounds. They got them oh. at auctions. Pretty often, they would buy them at auctions. You know, they might buy four or five at so an auction. So they were old buses. They were they Greyhounds. Really were. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So even when they first became yeah. Green Tortoise buses. Yeah. I have all these all these nostalgic flashbacks when I see uh, pictures of the civil rights area and era and the buses there. Cause that's like oh. the bus that Rosa Parks sat down uh-huh. on. Oh. That was the style of bus that I drove. Oh, that's really so, interesting. So I see those pictures wow. and I love them for all the wrong reasons. Uh-huh. Um, Cause I love <laughs> the old buses. Yeah. But yeah, so they well, were very old buses. What's different about those old buses though? Just briefly, like what, why are they so different? Is it just the way that they're designed like the interior or the setup? I don't think the interior is, you know, they're probably standard buses or mm-hmm. standard buses. They either have seats around the outside if they're mm-hmm. city buses or mm-hmm. they have rows of seats if they're long distance buses. So they were more or less the same, although ours, the interiors were all torn out and we oh. redid them ourselves. Yeah. So we had, I mean, so our buses were nothing like theirs on the inside mm-hmm. uh, because of what we'd done to them, which is we had the back, probably two thirds of the bus no, back half of the bus or so was just a platform, mm-hmm. just a one big bed. Forward of that, there were sort of dinettes, you know, like tables and sh- and benches on either side of the aisle, that which would could fold up into beds at night. And then in the very front, there were kind of couches that faced the center of the bus, and those would also fold out into beds at night. Yeah, it's amazing then, how cool the interior. Yeah. I, I watched oh. the video online. They're they're incredible, okay. and they just get better. Right. As people start yeah. to figure out how to how to make it better, they, they just get better. Uh-huh. And it's beautiful woodworking. They were yeah. really, really they're, they're nice. nice. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to ask you, what sort of people came on these trips? I, I mean, what I imagine they were generally in their 20s and mostly Americans. But actually, no, there were there were a lot of people from the U.S. That was common. Um, but there were a lot of travelers. You know, you had a lot of I've got my backpack and I'm going to travel the United States kind of people. So a lot of Germans, so a lot of Europeans, Germans, Dutch, um, people who tend to have a lot of vacation. So Germans and Dutch in particular, British, um, Australians and New Zealand. Because those are the people who they come, they're here for a long time because it costs so much to get here. Mm -hmm. So they try to get in everything. And it was a pretty good deal for them because they could get across the country. They could see great things and food and lodging was covered as well. So it was you know, really cheaper than staying somewhere. And they weren't coming from a culture where they think of travel as going to uh, 
what's that hard rock cafe in a foreign country they I actually mean, want to see the country right you know right. Uh, and it was yeah. interesting because it was not that not the australians so much but the europeans were always amazed because we'd, like we'd leave new york and we'd drive through the night and we'd drive through part of the morning and they'd ask me well where are we and i'd say oh we're in ohio and i'd show them on the map and and they were they were just amazed that we we're only you know a fraction of the way across the oh. country after having driven for so many hours yeah because in england you know you drive that far right. and you're somewhere else you're in right. a different country <laughs> yeah so, it's like so a whole they, different scale here yeah absolutely and they weren't mostly prepared for that uh-huh so, so they were oh go ahead just to finish that so yeah. there were lots of europeans there were we had a number of older people from the united states oh. we had this lovely old man his name was stanley he was probably in his 70s or 80s and he would come every year wow and he would ride around the country ride down to baja i think he came to mainland mexico at one point and he was retired and he just he loved being around young people and he'd Mm -hmm. be he'd be jumping off the rocks into the water with everybody else wow very people would kind of take care of him Mm -hmm. i mean he was an old man but he was agile (laughs) yeah agile enough and people but people also took care of him people would carry stuff for him and yeah so there were people like that. Mm-hmm. I had people who did their, one couple that did their honeymoon wow. on the bus. Probably more than one, but one that I knew of. So what do you think Stanley, I'm not sure in terms of his age, but that he might have been kind of in the counterculture movement during the 60s? Sort of the hippie you movement? Know, he, never or said there, that. Yeah. he never said that. So I don't, I don't actually know. I'm trying to remember if I knew what he did when he was, you know, when he was younger, when he worked. I don't remember what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, were, were there other people who uh, were older who, you know, grew up during that time and protested Vietnam and oh, stuff yeah. like that? Oh, yeah. Who, who came? Yeah. I, don't, I mean, there were. I don't, I don't know that I knew enough to ask them for their stories. Yeah. But there were definitely, you know, there was a definite sort of middle-aged counterculture crew that oh. was always, there was always a few of them. Mm-hmm. Um, that must have been interesting, like the way they connected to the younger people. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it was. But again, you you know, you just get this group of people together and you you throw them together. And Mm -hmm. I was always amazed that that it that it worked. Yeah. If people had if people had huge conflicts, I never really knew about it. They sort of stayed apart and somehow mostly people really enjoyed the the mix. Mm -hmm. I I did it for a long time. So I think I would know if there were like if there had been some kind of undercurrent of tension or something. I think Uh I would have known about that. And there really wasn't. Yeah. That's really interesting. It's that's amazing to hear that. Yeah. And um, so, were you yeah, saying? Yeah, because it could go really. I mean, you can yeah. imagine it could be really bad. Uh huh. But maybe it's partly the kind of people mm. who are interested in doing that. I think so. Are a little more open, you know, to adventure and to interpersonal, you know, c- connections or whatever. Just right. I think it, that, and they're also they're 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 looking for whatever is there. Mm-hmm. They're not, they don't have a particular, this is what I want to see, this right. is what I want to do mm-hmm. kind of mentality. They're just, I'm, I'm out there and let's see what happens. Yeah. They're ready to live in the moment a little bit. Right. Without I, an agenda. I think more than a little bit. I think, yeah. was, I think yeah. those people were pre-selected right. you know, by themselves. That's true. Um, so were you saying that most of the passengers were international more than American? I wouldn't say most, but a huge percentage. I think probably most of the time it was more than half. That was pretty common to have more than half um, mm-hmm. people from somewhere else because there's yeah there's just always people traveling and it's a great way. There, one thing that happened a lot on the cross country trip would be people would ride the bus from one side of the country to the other, and they'd 
we'd show them all kinds of cool out of the way places. And then a group of people who would have met on the bus would rent a car and they'd go back. You know, they'd sort of finish out their trip by doing their own cross country tour going back and they would spend more time at some of the places we went to. Oh, really? You know, Mm -hmm. under their own control because they were driving. Mm -hmm. That was pretty common. Mm Mm-hmm. So what was the median age then? Were people in their 30s or really just varied? Yeah, I mean, uh, median age, I would say 30s, but it really was every, I mean, I had, I had, there were most, I mean, average age, I would say was lower than that because it was a lot of 20s, you know, people in their low to mid 20s, people, people traveling. Um, mm-hmm. you know, college, college people in the summer traveling or, yeah, or that, but right. yeah, there was a whole range of people. Yeah. That's really great. We had, uh, there was one, one summer where we had a, a woman whose husband was a film producer and he was, so he was gone. And so she and her son who was eight or nine, they rode the bus around back and forth across the country with me mm-hmm. for, you know, for almost four weeks. Mm-hmm. Just the mother and son. Oh, wow. And they were, you know, it was great. And the kid was adopted by 45 parents and (laughs) just had a blast. She was, she had a blast Uh because she was, wasn't completely on mom duty the whole time. Oh, that's right. Really (laughs) turned out really well. Wow. Well, um, I think we should stop for a break now and we're going to hear a song followed by some announcements, but we'll be back soon. So stay tuned, everyone.
Hi, I'm Ruthie, and I have a recorder. Stick them up. <laughs> Listen to Out There on Wednesdays, 4 to 5 p.m. here on Valley Free Radio for interviews and snippets of life from the paths and streets of Northampton. You can hear past editions of Out There archived at weatherbeard.com slash out there. Sure, humans can be a little weird at times, but take it from me, I'm a dog. And a person is about the best thing that can happen to a shelter pet. So if you want to learn how you can be that person, get down to your local pet shelter or visit the shelterpetproject.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. And we're back. Thanks for tuning in. If you're just joining us, welcome. This is Under the Surface, and you're listening to Valley Free Radio, WXOJ, or Northampton at 103.3 FM. And we're also live streaming right now on the internet at valleyfreeradio.org. And we just heard Burning Down the House by the Talking Heads, of course, a still very familiar song that was all the rage back in 1983. And Ray told me that they frequently played that on the Green Tortoise bus. Right, Ray? That's true. <laughs> when Ray Brings was a driver. me right back there. Yeah. So let's see. I wanted to ask Ray to share a story or two that stands out. I guess you said there are so many stories about driving the Green Tortoise bus. But there, I'd love to hear. There are, right. And, and uh, Amy, you, when I, I was writing some stuff for you, just some, you know, here's what we did. And I realized I was describing all of the places. And, and you, you, I wrote you a little note saying, yeah. you know, the magic really isn't the places. The magic right. is being there with the people, having mm-hmm. these experiences in the places. So we can talk about the places, but that's just the mm-hmm. outline. Right. Um, so I have two stories that, I, that I'm thinking of. One of them was my very first trip which was uh i met up with the owner of the company gardner at his parents house near boston and there were three of us who were going to be co-drivers and this was kind of our probation you know we were going to drive across the country with him and passengers and some or all of us or none of us would actually be officially hired oh it was like a trial run yeah i mean Mm -hmm. sort of i you know i think it was just here we are let's go Mm -hmm. um i mean there were a lot of things that were developed more organically than mm-hmm. but so yeah so uh, just that trip um let's see albert lee minnesota i don't even know what happened but the police chased us out of town we, we were what? there we just we stopped there at the municipal pool to dip in and oh were you naked about, no no i know although <laughs> that happened a lot where right you'd People would be changing on the bus, uh-huh. and somebody would look into the bus and see naked people and call the police. Oh, that yeah. would happen in the they Midwest. They had very strict laws about yeah, that in the do. South. I know. In Georgia, they did. And, and you know, I, I mean, I know that Dutch and German sort of tradition is you go to the beach, you take your clothes off, you put your bathing suit on, and you go in the water. Mm-hmm. So, so it's a different relationship to nudity. Yes. That may be why we get kicked out. I don't know. I, the, also, Gardner... They didn't tell you why they were? I'm sure they told somebody. But, I mean, Gardner is, he's big, tall guy, hair down to his waist, probably wasn't wearing shoes or, you know, probably had torn shorts and no shirt, probably wandered into a grocery store looking for something. And, you know, that's just not how you do it in Albert mm-hmm. Lee, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. So, so they ran us out of town. Mm-hmm. And then a few hours later, at, we were going to a lake to go swimming. And the person who was driving at the time, I won't mention his name because he lives in the area, <laughs> but, but uh, he was going a little bit too fast and moved over to let someone someone coming the other way. And we ended up going basically going off of a levee 
uh, almost rolling over into a lake. Oh, no. And Because so, I was standing in the front of the bus, and I had water up to my waist. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was pretty bad. The, but, the entire bus? Well, more in. the front than the back. And you were um, in the bus, and yes. water was and this flooding. Is, this is, you know, the second day on the, on the tortoise for me. Wow. Um, so I'm thinking, this is great. I love this. These people <laughs> do it. <laughs> That's your reaction. Well, once the great. bus stopped and I realized we weren't going to roll over and uh-huh. sink into this lake and all die. Uh-huh. Um, then it was fun. Gardner had been sleeping at the time, and he came tumbling out of his bunk and dipped his hand in the water and started laughing. And so we spent hours there getting, you know, getting the bus lifted out of the water and it so was, Gardner was laughing. He was, yeah, he, oh. he was like, okay, this is all in the adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, everything turned out fine. How did turned you get the w- bus out? Well, well we got, first we got a tow truck, came uh, okay. and tried to lift us up. But mm-hmm. that tow truck, something broke on it, and it went rolling down the other side of the levee into the water. Oh, my gosh. And then after about an hour, this enormous you know, 10-wheel tow truck showed up, and this, this man in clean blue jeans and a white T-shirt you know, just look like Mr. Clean. He shows up with this truck and, you know, we, you could all, we could just tell it's like, okay, everything's going to be okay now. Mm-hmm. And he had this huge truck. And so he just mm-hmm. plucked the first tow truck out of the water and plucked mm-hmm. the bus out of the water. And, you know, and where and, again and was, was this? This was in Minnesota, mm-hmm. um, probably halfway across the state, a little bit less than halfway across the state on highway oh. 80, Oh, okay. sort of near the Iowa border. So was, was it because the levee was too narrow or well, a problem with the, the levee vehicles? was narrow? It mm-hmm. was a dirt road. The guy yeah. was driving too fast. Yeah. And, oh, okay. and one characteristic of these buses, too, is they didn't have power steering. Oh, so. So if you, you know, if you're driving along and the front wheel, one wheel catches in soft sand, you've got 20 tons of bus pulling <gasps> on it. So oh. it was not you had to be really careful. So you had to be so, strong to drive this bus. We you needed called, muscle power. We, we called the steering Armstrong steering. Yes. Oh. So wow. I would I would have to wear my seatbelt because if I didn't, sometimes I'd pull the wheel and pull myself out of the seat instead of instead of steering the bus. But I mean, most of the time going straight ahead, you didn't have to do that. It was just when mm-hmm. you were turning really sharp. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I would stand up and hang my weight on the wheel to turn. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. that's crazy! But wow, I've never driven a, even a car without power steering. Yeah, these were so. these these buses were Ugh. they were they were effort. Yeah, they were standard transmissions. You got muscles, I guess, yeah. from doing that. Yep. So I mean, so that trip, you know, first we get kicked out of a town, then we end up in this lake, then we. I mean, there were so many adventures on that trip. Yeah. Um, but that was without passengers, right? No, that was with passengers. Oh, it was? It was with passengers. Okay, I thought, okay, you had yeah. passengers. How did yeah. they react to all that? They were just like, okay, as long as everything's good, we're good. Uh-huh. You know, it didn't slow us down more than it. We okay. had to spend a few extra hours there waiting for tow trucks and whatnot. Oh. You know, so, but, so we, had, so we uh-huh. took our food out and made dinner, uh-huh. right? You know, uh-huh. what else are you going to okay. do when the bus is in the lake? Right. You make dinner. Wow. So, um, and as it turned out, there was nothing damaged. And the next day we were in the badlands which is bone dry mm-hmm. so anything that got wet was dry by the morning oh, okay you know so like everything was fine wow keep on rolling <laughs> that's great so, yeah um, and just another story yeah tell us of course n- south of the border the stories they're just there are more stories mm-hmm. right traveling south of the border mm-hmm. um we went to one we would go into belize which is south of the yucatan in mexico mm-hmm. so on the caribbean Next to Guatemala, south of Mexico, um, we would go out to an island there, and I had arranged for a sailboat trip. So we had 
bought a whole bunch of food. We were going to go out on a sailboat trip out to uh, to one of the keys, one mm-hmm. of the remote keys off of Belize, and we'd arranged this with this captain called Gamusa, um, quite a character. If you Google Gamusa, he, he's there. Mm-hmm. Um, so he takes us out in his boat, and something went wrong with the boat, and we end up adrift in the Caribbean, and finally got to this island, you know, and the whole time he's just getting high saying, don't worry, brother, check it out. You know, mm-hmm. he's, he was fine. He wasn't worried. Mm-hmm. So we get to his, this island and we have a great couple of days on the island and, and we go to leave and the boat was still screwed up. <laughs> um, he couldn't, he couldn't get us anywhere. And lo and behold, the British army shows up with one of their landing things you know that one of those boats that the front opens up on they're just out there for a day's picnic right Belize was a British protectorate so the British army is still Mm -hmm. there in some force so they come out to the island just for a day of rest and relaxation so we're all begging them like take us back to Belize city please Mm -hmm. so they do so we all pile in their boat and say goodbye to Gamusa and (laughs) just ride back to the bus in Belize city and you know that was just part of the Uh that kind of stuff happened yeah it happened a lot, and what's amazing is that, like, it always worked out. Yeah, it always worked out. We just were never stuck. Yeah. anywhere for very long. You know, we just everything always worked out. I think the big difference is that you're there to have fun, whereas when something like that happens and you're not there to have fun, like it's part of a job, mm-hmm. that's when it's a pain. Right. You know, and you're like, oh, my whole day is is bad now, and you know, I didn't get enough sleep and this and that. But with what you're doing, you have people who are just ready for the adventure, and it's sounds like it's part of the adventure right right and honestly even from my perspective like when the bus would break down that would be an hour or two that i had a very clear very concrete task to accomplish as opposed to sort of keeping 40 people happy Mm -hmm. so in a way when the bus would break down i'd be like okay i can like i can do this Mm -hmm. i can handle this this is very clear that was almost easier than dealing with the 40 people sometimes i mean i love dealing (laughs) with the people you wouldn't do it if you didn't yeah but it was different and sometimes it was just felt like a break Mm -hmm. because i'd be under the bus and Mm -hmm. i didn't no one had asked me a question or nobody Uh you know the only need was for me to get the bus moving again yeah so so it was it was a little bit of a break you know, I mean, I loved working with the people. Right. Don't, don't mis- mistake that. Yeah. This was just different. And so I yeah. didn't mind it. Yeah. I didn't mind it when but the bus would break down. Were you never, I mean, did the bus ever break down in a place where you didn't have the tools that you needed? Or, you know? We carried everything with us. Oh. We carried, I mean, there were times, there was one part of one trip in Mexico where we had to drive the bus for several days without a, a functioning clutch, which was an adventure on a, <laughs> a standard shift bus. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, because we needed to take the transmission out and replace mm-hmm. replace the throwout bearing, which is so. How did that class. affect the driving of the bus? It just made it more of an adventure, but mostly we were fine. You know, sometimes we would have to get people out and push it to get it going. Uh, um, but that's you know, sometimes you have to push the bus. That's mm-hmm. part of the story. Uh-huh. So, but that was probably the worst thing that ever happened. The most mm-hmm. inconvenient. Um, you know, and then we had to spend a couple days in in Merida on the Yucatan. Mm-hmm. You know pulling the transmission out and working on the bus, but that was between trips. Mm -hmm. So it didn't inconvenience people. And so I didn't feel too bad about it, Mm -hmm. but we really, I mean, the buses were surprisingly, they were in good condition mechanically. They were um, unbelievably simple. You know, they were like, I'm sure people have described the Volkswagen bus. Mm -hmm. They were like those, but buses, they were, Mm -hmm. you could, you could mostly get them moving. Right. I I did trips with, I did one cross country trip where I, I had a bucket of fuel on the roof that I kept having to fill up because the fuel pump went bad and I was able to run the bus 
off just gravity, you know, feeding the feeding the fuel from, oh, the, that's from, bizarre. The, from the tank on the roof. <laughs> but you know, we we got where we needed to go. So wow! So you had a tank on top of the ro- uh, the bus yes. that was feeding. Yeah. But the buses were that simple. You could do stuff like that, uh-huh. which I doubt. Yeah. I doubt you could do that now. Right now, everything's so computerized, right? Remote. Yeah, and that's interesting. We t- we're touching on that because one thing that occurs to me is that this was at a time before we got all tech crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, before cell phones, smartphones, and cell phones. I think right. Yep. Yeah, we didn't and have cell phones. You did or did, did not have right? Cell phones, you no. didn't. Um, and GPS and and what I think to me is so appealing about this experience. Well you know, is that in a way as children, that's when people spend sort of continuous time together, a continuous stretch Mm -hmm. of time without always thinking, oh, no, now I have to go this way or we have to leave and do this responsibility. And so I imagine that's sort of like what your experience was, or maybe more so as a passenger, the fact that people could spend a continuous period of time together without interruptions, without smartphone interruptions or texting and all that, and in person. Mm-hmm. So, and it was true actually for the driver as well because even though I had more responsibilities, people would aside from the driving, people would always jump in and share them. Mm-hmm. You know, if we were if I needed to plan a meal, somebody would be there helping write stuff down. Or, mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was it was an uninterrupted time with mm-hmm. people. Yeah, it really was. Yeah, that's you. You hit it right. And I imagine there like maybe there were a lot of really great conversations that people had. Yes. Yeah. Were you able to do that too? Like get yeah, have really a, long conversations. There was a seat. There was a seat right next to the driver's seat. A little bench we installed right next to the driver's seat. We called the buddy seat. Mm-hmm. Oh. So, you know, that was there was always someone sitting in there, and we made a we made a call. Right, you know, mm-hmm. if you wake up at night and you can't sleep, just come up and sit in the buddy seat oh. and talk to the driver and uh-huh. keep us awake. And uh-huh. so, yeah, we had lots of you know driving through the night through Wyoming with nothing to see but rabbits mm-hmm. you know just hours and hours of just talking about whatever mm-hmm. so and you you could really did you make some good friends through that experience it's, i mean people understand that differently because what would happen was you'd make these friends and you'd feel really close to them because you were just immersed you were with them and then after a couple of weeks sometimes they would go away yeah so so some people read that as oh it wasn't real Oh, really? You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it felt real, but it wasn't real. Mm-hmm. And, and I always read that as these were real. They, were, they, had, they had lifespans. Mm-hmm. These relationships had lifespans, but they were totally real. Mm-hmm. And then they were, there are some number of people who I have kept in touch with. This one friend that we're, we travel with almost every summer. Um, my whole family does. Oh. We see her. We're traveling with her this summer. Oh, that's great. Um, so, yeah, there's quite a few people that I still stay connected with. And you with. met her as a passenger? Yep. Yeah. Yep, we met in Mexico City. Uh-huh. So, yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. It's still a real experience, even if people go their separate ways. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, So we still have some time, but we're getting closer to the end. What I'm curious to know is how do you think this experience, because you did this for 10 years, Mm -hmm. right? I Mm -hmm. don't know if you did it every year. I I did it. I did it for 10 years. I did it for the summer. And then I would co- usually come back to Amherst and, and mm-hmm. live and work until November or so. And then I'd go away from December, January, February uh, for the winter. Mm-hmm. And then I'd return for the spring to Amherst. So I, I did it in patches. Mm-hmm. A lot of people worked the whole time. A lot of people who worked for the tortoise mm-hmm. just did it full time. Mm-hmm. But I didn't. Right. But I did it for a long time. 
But you did it at least for a part of the summer and a part of the winter every year. Yes. For 10 years. Yeah, and no, I did it usually for the whole summer and most oh, of the winter. Right. Yeah. So I'm wondering when you look back on this experience, or do you th- how do you think green tortoise has influenced you today? Do you think it's affected how you live your life? Oh, absolutely. I know it's a big question. Ab- it's, it is a huge question, but no, yeah. absolutely. It's a culture. Uh-huh. It's a culture that I lived in for a long time. And I, I mean... I mean, I was, I was, yeah, it's, it's affected everything. It's affected me politically. It's affected me socially. Mm-hmm. Um, it's affected the way I think about community and what people can accomplish together and mm-hmm. what it means for people to be together as opposed to all separate. Mm-hmm. Um, and the value of that. Right. I mean, I was, I was, I was driving the bus the summer that the, I forget what border it was, but some some border opened up between Eastern and Western Europe. And that was the beginning of the the breakup of the Soviet Union. I remember Mm -hmm. talking to passengers about that and Mm -hmm. having them tell me this is this is huge, that this border is open so people can now go from here to there. And Mm -hmm. so there were things that I learned, you know, and because of that, I started paying attention to politics in a way that I didn't before. Um, Mm -hmm. I ended up in Berlin when the wall was coming down. You were uh, in Berlin? I was in Berlin. Well, I, I went there in December. Mm-hmm. The wall opened up in November. Mm-hmm. So I was there in December. So I have, you know, I have little pieces of the wall that I helped tear wow. down. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, and I, I wouldn't have known to do that. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't, I didn't pay attention. So do you think you became that. politically active through meeting people from foreign, you know, from foreign countries? That was part of it, for tourists? sure. That was part or of it. Or were you sure. already a little bit like that? Were you already pretty aware of? I think it's or, both. I mean, I think like yeah. everything, right? You wouldn't go on the green tortoise unless you were sort of ready to be, mm-hmm. That's true. to take what it had to offer. So I was, I was sort of the, uh, I was aligned yeah, already, right. but I mean, I learned so much. I don't, I don't even think I could begin to describe what I learned. Yeah. And then certainly traveling in Mexico and Central America and mm-hmm. just learning, I mean, just subtle things about culture and how things are different. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's interesting, and I didn't ask you about that, but for a moment, I just want to ask you, was that ever, were there ever conflicts in that way, or just difficult things to figure out in terms of culture clash with the passengers and the indigenous cultures, maybe, that you mm, came across? Sometimes. Mostly not. Again, mm-hmm. because people who came, you know, we would try to do what we could if, if I knew. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were places, there was one place that we went to where it was a town up in the way up in the mountains in Chiapas where there was a one of the beliefs was that if you photograph someone you're you're taking something from them right you know and I don't claim to completely understand it but I I know that much about it and so I would sort of prep people like don't take pictures Mm -hmm. this is these people do not want you to take pictures right and so you know we would do things like that try to prep them Um, and then there were also people who got into clashes My, my favorite story is a is of going into one place, everybody was hot and tired, and we stopped at a little, I don't, you know, place where people could get beer. And one one person went in just, you know, sort of saying, beer, do you have beer here? And then they gave her the beer, and she said, do you take real money? And she started waving U.S. dollars. What? And, and they <laughs> charged her. I forget what they charged her, but it was some huge amount. <laughs> and somebody else went in right after her in, <laughs> in poor Spanish and said, cerveza. <laughs> and they did their best they could, <laughs> and they had pesos, and the price for, for that person was about a quarter of the price <laughs> the first person paid. So it's like, yep, that works. That's uh-huh. kind of perfect. Yeah. But, I mean, uh-huh. that's a pretty small conflict. 
Right. But that's but, an interesting story, yeah, though, how yeah, the attitude. That, good for you. That affected, good. That affected it. Yeah. And I also imagine that these experiences, um, maybe you were already kind of a do-it-yourself person, but you, pr- you probably had to even become more of that, you know, just with all the different responsibilities you had. I think I think I was pretty ready for it. I mean, uh-huh. we my, I grew up pretty poor, so mm-hmm. we were always at home. Just if something broke, you fixed it, or else you didn't have it. Mm-hmm. So, and my father was a car mechanic, mm-hmm. so I grew up sort of if it breaks, you take oh. it apart and try to figure it out. So you already had so, that mentality, yeah. yeah. But I mean, I also learned, you know, the people who I worked with taught me a lot about fixing the buses. There's specific knowledge that you have to get. You know, you can't just start taking things right. apart. Yeah. Um, or that you can, but yeah. that doesn't go as well as if you know what you're doing. Uh-huh. So I learned a lot. Uh-huh. And where did you grow up? I grew up near Boston. Oh, near Boston. Yeah. Okay, so you didn't grow up in California, no, 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 but you spent no. time there. No. Oh, okay. Wow. So are there any, like, beautiful uh, experiences you have in particular, like maybe visually, you know, just um, things like that? Because the pictures were just so, so gorgeous. There, there, there are incredible places that we went to. One, one of my favorite one thing that put a lot of it into perspective for me was, I mean, I got used to seeing these places. We would go there and every time it would just be awe-inspiring, quite mm-hmm. a few of them. Yeah. Um, I had one trip and it, I get choked up thinking about it. We, we, um, we stopped at a lake the first morning. We, we stopped at a lake north of Reno, Nevada, Pyramid Lake. It's just out in the desert. Uh-huh. Um, there's a hot spring there that's kind of a geyser. And, and this woman... I, she was just crying. She was just standing there weeping. And I asked her, like, what's up? Are you okay? And she had just she had just gotten corneal transplants. Mm-hmm. And so she was now seeing where oh. she hadn't been able to see. Wow. So she was traveling across the country and she was seeing all this beauty mm-hmm. from the perspective of someone who had never seen anything <gasps> before. Wow. And she was going to New York to see her family. Uh-huh. And and so, I mean, I can't tell you how many times uh-huh. she had the whole bus crying, uh-huh. you know, would stop somewhere and she'd just be crying and we'd start wow. to realize how she was seeing, you know, Yellowstone Park and the geysers or the Badlands wow. or, you know, and just to think about this woman seeing this stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, see the word seeing has a different meaning when it's the first right. time you're seeing. It was just, you know, That's it was amazing. incredible. She'd been blind her whole life. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. I mean, already it's exciting when you take somebody like a child or someone who's never been to a place to see something for the first time and it makes you appreciate it more right. because they're seeing it for the first time. But somebody who's never been able to see, to see these places. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. That is a great story. It was, I mean, and I just feel like I got to be part of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably changed the whole vibe of the entire trip for mm-hmm. everyone. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, um, yeah, we've come to the end of the show, and you've been listening to Under the Surface. I'm Amy Landau, and I've been talking to Ray Paquette, who worked for Green Tortoise for about 10 years as a bus driver, actually 10 years, between the years of 1982 and 92. So, Ray, thank you so much for being a guest on today's show. It's been a pleasure having you here. Sure. Thank you for having me. I've, I've enjoyed my trip down the uh, down <laughs> memory lane. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, literally. It's a trip down memory lane to remember the actual trips. Yes, the trips, <laughs> yes. Um, and thanks for listening, everybody. Please tune in again next Sunday at 12 noon. And I'm going to leave you with one more song from Ray's time at Green Tortoise. Here's an REM song called I Remember California from 1988. Enjoy the rest of your day, everybody.
Sister.